Because, see, we're talking about Joseph, and there's so much to learn about Joseph. And uh, Pastor Bill has already started last week just helping us to understand about the journey that Joseph was on, and we want to continue that today, right? Uh, now, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Je Genesis chapter 39, which is the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, and I'll explain the background of that. Now, chapter 38 actually deals, well, it doesn't mention Joseph, but it's here as a contrast, as most scholars say, to Genesis 39, where Judah was unfaithful and unwise, Joseph was faithful and wise. So since we're focusing on Joseph's life, we're going to go right to chapter 39, and our focus is, well, it's on Joseph, so, but we'll go from there to ultimately God's steadfastness. Uh, so let's take a look first and foremost with what might be a jarring two words, but these two words are simply Joseph purchased. Somebody bought Joseph. We're talking about Joseph's character and God's sovereignty, but somebody uh, bought Joseph. And it can be a little jarring, but that is indeed where we begin. So it says this. It says, now Joseph had been brought down uh, to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, uh, he had bought him, had bought him from the Ishmaelites and had brought him down there. Now again, that's a, uh, whoa, that's a jarring term, but we need to remember that slavery was very common in that day. It was almost the norm around the world, but particularly for Joseph's life, chapter 39 is not starting well for him. Now we know a little bit from chapter 37, Bill had talked some about how he's sold into slavery, the work of his brothers and more. But one of the things we learned very early on about Joseph is he seems to go through a cycle of always sort of getting the, the bad end of the stick, but then there's this restoration that comes from here. He's like the guy who always gets in trouble, but somehow God in his mercy brings him out of in the midst of that trouble. Now, what I want to say to you throughout today's message is Joseph's story is actually ultimately God's story, which means many centuries later, it's still our story. So we're going to look at that, but, but let's take just a moment with the words Joseph purchased, right? Still today, slavery exists, 20 million plus people enslaved around the world. Uh, but also, it's probably worth noting in 2019, this is the 400th year, 400 years ago in 1689, 1619, excuse me, 1619, uh, Dutch traders actually brought African slaves for the first time, taken from a ship, a uh, Spanish ship, to Jamestown. And what many have called America's original sin, uh, the chattel slavery of African slaves, is, has been a stain on our nation's history for as long as we've had a history. Now, here's the thing. When we think about slavery, we think about the jarring realities of slavery, and we should. And when we talk about slavery in our context, it's hard not to talk about it in reference to our own national journey and that stain that is upon our national character. But also worth noting that in the midst of that, we'll see in just a few moments how God worked in the lives of people who themselves had been enslaved. Now, now don't misunderstand, not that this makes it any better, but one of the realities that many people have forgotten is that many of the early slaves and slaves throughout history were actually followers of Jesus. Not only were these African slaves enslaved 
but they were often enslaved by people who called themselves Christians as they themselves practiced a Christian faith. From even today, we take things often called Negro spirituals from the very reality of the struggle that they face. More on that later. Back to Joseph. Joseph is purchased. He did not know at this point if this was the end, but he did know. He didn't know if he would end his life in enslaved and and, and treated as chattel and more, but he did know that God was steadfast. I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees because the point here is not just that Joseph has some ups and downs in his life, though my, does Joseph have some ups and downs. But really, it's much more than that. It's God's steadfastness is the theme throughout. So that leads to number two, which is really a pattern in Joseph's life. Now, if this is such a pattern that Scripture records this pattern, it's worthy for us to ask why. So next thing we see is Joseph promoted. Joseph is promoted. It's not on your screen, so just listen for just a moment as I read verse 2 all the way down to verse 6. Verse 1 tells him he'd been brought down to Egypt. Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him. And then it says in verse 2, but the Lord, don't miss this, God gets mentioned quite frequently in these verses. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, that's Joseph, that the Lord caused all that he did to exceed, uh, to excel in his hands, to succeed in his hands. Now notice thus far, verses 2 and 3, we've heard God mentioned more than Joseph. I don't want you to miss this. This is not just a story of Joseph. So it says this in verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made made him overseer over his house, and he put in charge of all that he had from the time that he had made him overseer in the house and over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So the Egyptian master, left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So what's going on here is verses 2 through 6, Joseph's getting stuff done, but he's getting stuff done because God is working through him, and God is blessing the work of his hands. Now, it's, we, we know that this doesn't end well, or else we wouldn't be talking about Potiphar's wife. So you may notice it's kind of like Joseph gets excelling and then smacks down. Joseph excels and then he smacked down. And that's really a key part of what I want to talk about today. Again, he keeps getting hit with the pain stick of life like a lot. So even as Joseph is promoted, we know that this promotion will actually lead to a problem for Joseph. But remember, Joseph's story is ultimately God's story, which means many centuries later it's still our story. So let's talk about Joseph's problem. Let's talk some about Joseph's problem because he's got a problem and he consistently has a problem. We'll see this in just a minute. There are consistently difficulties that are presented in Joseph's life. Matter of fact, Joseph's life that we often see can largely be described and defined as a series of difficulties where God proves himself steadfast through each and every one. Sometimes we don't even get the details of the story. Here in the middle of chapter 39, we're going to hear about Potiphar's wife in just a moment. She's the source of some of these troubles. But at the end of chapter 39, we find another cycle of Joseph's life where he excels. Well, we'll we'll save that to just a little bit later on. 
So we're going to really look at three characters and characteristics of those characters as we walk through Joseph's problem. The first is Potiphar's wife. Now we know Potiphar is this Egyptian official, appears to be a high-ranking Egyptian official. He owns slaves. He has guards. Um, and, and, and then we find Potiphar's wife in just a moment. We're going to see what happens. But first, it tells us a little bit about Joseph. It says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now, so in other words, kind of think of him like me. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. Uh, kind of think of him. All right. Think of him as the opposite of me. Right? I have a radio show, and my kids like to say, you got a great face for radio. And so I, I love my kids, but they're more honest than they need to be. So the opposite of me, but his good looks obviously are mentioned here because they become an issue. And then after a time, his master's wife, so that's Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now, that's not referring to telling untruths alongside of her. It's a different kind of lie with me. Um, and yes, this would mean that Potiphar's wife was propositioning uh, Joseph. Now, there's a lot of things that are worth going on here that the, the writer tells us right beforehand. For example, in verse 6, it says, Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So in other words, Potiphar basically said, Joseph, I totally trust you, and I'm just going to hang around and bring me food, and you just run everything. Now, why is that significant? It's a reminder here that Joseph could have responded to Potiphar's wife, and probably Potiphar would never know. And in other words, it's the scenario where you can, with certainty, have an affair, and nobody will ever find out. And that's often the promise that sometimes people face. It was just a few years ago when the uh, affair-promoting website, Ashley Madison, ran an ad and basically, well, ads all over, and basically said, here's the promise. You can find somebody to have an affair with, but everyone's agreed it will be secret, and then no one will ever know. And then somebody hacked their database <laughs> and released the Excel file on the web. And you can search by name. And so all of a sudden, all of these people who sort of bought into the promise, including a few prominent Christian leaders, all these people who brought into the promise that no one would ever know it was brought in to the light. But here Joseph has a pretty good chance that nobody would ever know. But here's the reality. He comes face to face, and at this point, it's his character that matters. No one else will know, but he will know, and he knows that God will know. And he says this in verse 8. He says, goes on, it's not on your screen, I'm just going to read it. But he refused and said to his master's wife, he said to his master's wife, behold, because of, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, he says to Potiphar's wife, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? Don't miss this. How then can I do this great wickedness? and sin against God. See, it doesn't say 
sin against Potiphar. I mean, it's implied there, but Joseph's greatest concern was this is a moment he could do whatever he wanted, right? And nobody would probably ever find out. Of course, we don't know, but nobody would ever find out. But he says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Now, now, so don't miss this, right? Because what's happened is, is Joseph perhaps has this opportunity to commit sexual sin when nobody would know. Fast forward centuries later, and that reality is often a promise that sometimes people believe. And they get drawn into an adulterous relationship with the promise that nobody will know, and eventually people do know. Matter of fact, what often happens if people are drawn into adulterous relationships is that they minimize the consequences and they maximize the benefits. You know, I'm getting attention from this person. I'll, I'll be happy with this person. This won't be a big deal. This won't hurt my kids. This won't crush my spouse. They minimize the consequences and maximize the benefits. What Joseph did is just the opposite. Now, why did he do such a thing? Because of his character and his love for God. Let me encourage you that though the theme is not here in totality, that of sexual immorality, let me encourage you to maximize the consequences. Because the reality is when somebody knows, the destruction is great. And sometimes nobody will ever know. Maybe the pornography you are watching, when nobody is around, you think nobody will ever know. Well, Joseph had the character. Now, pornography was not going to be the issue then as it is now. But Joseph had the character to say, no, I will not sin against God. And so it is, centuries later, we can say the same. So let's move on from Potiphar's wife, and let's talk a bit about Joseph's character. Let's talk a bit about Joseph's character. And we'll zoom in and kind of think a little bit what's going on here. It says, but one day, this is Genesis 39, 11, and 12, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garments saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and got out of the house. Now, I don't want you to miss this, right? So she, I mean, he's a slave. He's still working in this context. One day, she grabs a hold of his clothes, and he ends up running away. Now, a lot of people have sort of put into this some, some level of detail that the Bible doesn't give. We don't know how much of his clothes or what part of his clothes. But here's what we know. We know that he ran out of the house. Now, it's interesting that in all the types of sin that we see in the Bible, we're actually told to resist the sin. We're told to stand against the sin. But in 2 Timothy 2.22, it says this, so flee, don't miss the word flee, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee youthful passions, not fight youthful passions, get out of there. So centuries before 2 Timothy 2, 2 was written, Joseph is an example of that very reality. A couple of things to notice here too. Joseph was targeted for sin. Let me just tell us, tell you, all of us are targeted for sin. That's called temptation. Satan is consistently seeking to tempt his people. It might be in this way, it might be in a different way. And what happens is people fall in the moment, they say. Can I tell you, there's really no such thing as a fall in the moment. 
You don't suddenly do something that's completely out of your character unless your character has been weakened over time or not built up as it should have been. Because here's the thing, your commitments matter more than the moment at hand. Well, I got caught up in the moment. No, you had allowed your character to erode to such a place that when the moment presented itself, your character could not stand that test. So Joseph has, I mean, it wasn't the first time. I mean, Joseph ran because he knew he needed to run. But there's a third character here, right? We've looked at Potiphar's wife. We've looked at Joseph's character. But I don't want you to miss the third and very frequently mentioned but sometimes overlooked character, and that's God and God's steadfast love. God's steadfast love. It says this, right? So this is Genesis 39, 19 through 21. As soon as his master, Potiphar, heard the words that his wife spoke him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. Now Potiphar, who's the owner of Joseph, is not so happy. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So he's now locked him away, and he was there in prison. Now here's the deal. We don't know what happens at this point. Right? I mean, Joseph doesn't know. I mean, we, if we're reading through the text, we read the next verse, we can learn. But all Joseph's know, Joseph knows is, I was faithful to God. Now I'm in prison. Not only am I owned by somebody, I was purchased because of the actions of my brothers, but now I find myself in prison. But the Lord, don't miss this, but the Lord was with Joseph, Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Say those two words with me. Steadfast love. One more time steadfast love. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of that prison. I don't want you to miss this. Steadfast love is key to understanding Joseph's bumpy life. Let me say it again. Steadfast love is key to understanding Joseph's bumpy life, right? He goes up, he goes down, he gets knocked down, he gets up again, up, down, up, down but God's steadfast. Now, this is a recurring theme throughout the scriptures, right? His steadfast love endures forever, is what the Bible tells us. The psalmist writes in Psalm 118, verses 1 through 4. I wonder if you might repeat with me the, the verses, the places where it's in quotations. His steadfast love endures forever. I'll read it. Let's say it together. Ready? Let me start. Let Israel say, you ready? His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say... His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. So for Joseph and for us, say it one more time, His steadfast love endures forever. So Joseph's story here is ultimately God's story, which means many centuries later it's going to still be our story. So here we go through and we look at Potiphar's wife, we look at uh, Joseph's character, we look at God's steadfast fastness, but look at number four. Joseph's back in prison. Joseph's in prison. It says this in Genesis 20, 39, 23. The keeper of, a, of, prison, of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord succeeded. Notice that the Lord is mentioned twice. Joseph is mentioned by name once. Now, why does this matter? Because sometimes what happens in Bible stories 
We'll gather kids around, right? I, I, my kids are a little older now, and, um, but we'd gather them around when they were little and tell them stories and show them pictures and books of Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat, which may or may not have been an awesome Broadway show. But we tell the stories, and sometimes we can think the stories of Joseph are of running away from temptation. The stories of Joseph are he gets everything back, or the story is kind of the ups and downs. It, it definitely sounds a lot like a morality tale that we would tell in a fable. And the problem is when we tell Bible stories as if they are fables with the moral of the story, we miss that there's not a thousand stories in the Bible with different morals that we're to apply. Okay, say, well, this means try harder. This means be a person who works well. This means whatever. But if the Bible's not a thousand stories. The Bible's not, not 66 stories. There are 66 books in the Bible. The Bible's not even 66 stories. Though it has 66 books and it has a thousand stories, the Bible ultimately is about one story, and it's God's redemptive plan to men and women. And knowing that allows us to look at this passage and to see much more than a guy who cannot seem to get a break or at least to keep the break because he's up, he's down, he's up and he's down. In Genesis 39, he's sold by his brothers who are jealous. In verses 2 through 6, he starts getting stuff done. So Potiphar puts him in charge of stuff, saying Joseph's God must be with him. Even Potiphar notices that Joseph's God must be with him. Joseph's killing it. His brothers are in the rear view mirror. He's, 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 he's the key to the whole house, right? He can go anywhere and do anything. Joseph is looking good, and then boom, he's in trouble. He gets back down, but he gets up again. Bill talked last week about peaks and pits, which is such a powerful description of Joseph's life. But remember, this is not primarily a story about Joseph. It's primarily a story about God and his steadfastness. That's why I call this message Joseph's character and God's sovereignty. Both are evident in there, Joseph's character and God's sovereignty, but Joseph's story is ultimately God's story of faithfulness and steadfastness, which means centuries later it still relates to us as our story. This is not a tale told of old that teaches us a moral. This is a picture of a steadfast God who is still steadfast centuries and centuries later. See, let me think about this for just a moment, right? Uh, we walk through Joseph's life. Let's remember how he might have felt at those moments. I mean, we don't know. We, we, we read it and we look at Genesis 39 and there's probably years between some of these things. I mean, Joseph didn't show up at Potiphar's house and suddenly be put in charge. He earned Potiphar's trust, then lost it because of the sin of Potiphar's wife. And then he goes to prison, and the prison warden, if you will, didn't immediately trust. So we're talking about years that we read as verses. So when, when Joseph ends up in the king's prison, he's at his worst again. So don't miss this. Joseph doesn't know that there's going to be a turnaround here because there's not always a turnaround. Sometimes you die in prison and God's still steadfast. And that's when it gets harder. Sometimes we wonder in our own lives in the pits, when we're not at the peaks, we're in the pits. Sometimes we wonder what our life 
is about and what our story even is because we can't see it clearly. We can't see it clearly. That happens a lot. Let me show you a picture that might help us to illustrate this, right? So take a look here. What is this? I mean, it's hard to tell. Hard to tell. Could be a, could be a skunk. Could be a bowling ball. But we don't know. We don't know the story. You've never been in that place where you're not so sure what even story you're in? God help me, I don't understand. But then if we just focus individually on characters, we can miss the fullness of the story. Here, we could look at these two, right? So, okay, so these two, they, this must be a story about two kids. They seem pretty happy. Um, they, they, but we don't know much about what's going on. Is this a story about two kids or, but it's not the whole story. It's, it's a story about a family. So, but wait a second. So there's now, is that mom? Is that the kids? What's going on here? And What's this strange thing coming up in the, but we can't see the whole story. We don't know. And there's a part of us that's like, I want to know the whole story. And here's the challenge. God doesn't promise us the whole story in our lifetime. So every time Joseph's in the pit, he doesn't know he's about to go back to the peak. And when he's at the peak, he doesn't know he's about to go into peak, but he knows that there's a bigger story than him. So is this a story of some kids and a family or, but wait, no, let's look out a little more. It's, there's somebody here and. So we're in church and we're starting to think, well, we probably know who that somebody is, right? So maybe it's a story about this woman who brings her kids. Maybe it's these are her kids or maybe others. And oh, look, it's, that was a baby down there. So now we're starting to get some more of the story, but we still don't know the whole story, right? But the whole story, let's take a look, is really a story about, about families bringing little children to Jesus. And we didn't know that when we started, but now we get the bigger picture, right? We don't always know what's going on until we zoom out. And don't miss this. Sometimes you don't get to zoom out until you're in heaven with the Lord. Man, I wish I always got to zoom out and kind of knew what was coming next. Wouldn't that be awesome? But if God doesn't give that to Joseph, how's he going to give that to you and to me? What he gives us is a, not a promise that we'll get out of the pit back to every peak, but what he gives us is a promise of his steadfast love in the midst of those peaks and those pits. So we get the picture when we... We zoom out, but let's put that picture back up on the screen for just a moment because, because there's more to that picture, isn't there? How many of you recognize that picture? Yeah. Not as many up there they recognize the picture because the people with the children tend to sit up in that little balcony corner. But that's a painting right on the second floor of our church by the children's area. These children, right, these children's story is ultimately Jesus' story. It's not about the children. We don't even get their names. We just know, bring the little children to me, which means many centuries later, it's our story. But wait, there's more in this case. This is actually a picture that was painted by Brian Butler, our staff as graphic designer. And if you look closely, yeah, pretty amazing. Sure, go ahead, go ahead. But what some of you know that some of the rest of you may not know is not only is this a picture of Jesus with the little children coming to him, because that story speaks to us 2,000 years later, but those children are some children that if you look closely, you might just recognize. See, it was painted about seven, eight years ago with the faces of children at the Moody Church. So some of you 
Those little children are probably teenagers now, and, and a good number of those faces you might indeed recognize. You see, but zooming out allows you to dig deep. You get the story, and then you get the rest of the story. And the rest of the story here about Joseph is that it's not ultimately about Joseph. As a matter of fact, it's so little about the temptation that we don't even know Potiphar's wife's name. I mean, we know Rahab the prostitute's name, so it's not a question that she was unnamed because she was immoral, but we don't even know her name because she's not the point of the story. Joseph's in there, but God's mentioned over and over and over again. Now, here's the thing I don't want you to miss. First, God does not promise an unbroken line of success in your life. Joseph, by this time, has been, been sold into slavery by his brothers, has been falsely accused, is back in the prison again. This Now, I know you said, well, I thought we were going to have our best life now. Listen, you get your best life later. And knowing that causes you to live differently in light of the steadfast character of God. And being a Christian does not free us from the pain. But we know that God is working. His love is steadfast. And when bad things come, we can say to those who brought those bad things, you meant evil against me, Genesis 50, 20. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So whether somebody has wronged us, or and maybe it's not just somebody who's wronged us. Maybe our own body has wronged us. This week I went to lunch with a friend who's has Parkinson's disease. He's not doing well. And his body is warring against him. He's at the pit. And from that pit, he said to me at lunch this week, all I know is I can still cling to God. He trusted in God's steadfastness. You see, Joseph's story is ultimately God's story, which means centuries later, it's part, we're part of that story. Right, so, so yesterday, I had the privilege of interviewing Gracia Burnham on my uh, radio show at Moody Radio. You may not know the name. You probably remember it if it was 10 years ago because her and her husband Martin were in the Philippines when they were kidnapped by Abu Sayyaf, which is an affiliate of Al-Qaeda. And they were dragged through the jungle for about a year. Philippine military trying to find them. These Muslim, Islamist, resurgent separatists were trying to hide them and ransom them. There was actually a third Westerner, Westerner that was captured with them. They beheaded that Westerner right at the beginning and said to them, Martin and Gracia, your time will come soon. And then they took them around the jungle for over a year. And I'd like to tell you that the story ends well. I mean, you know that she sat in a radio studio with me yesterday, and we talked about trusting God in the midst of some of those difficulties. And you may know that a rescue came. The Philippine military found them, but in the course of the rescue, she was shot in the leg and her husband shot in the chest. And she said to me the strangest thing yesterday. She said, well, in a sense, God answered my prayers. What were you praying? I was praying that one of us would get to go home and see our children. And as she watched her husband die next to her, because, because at the end of the day she was in the Philippines because of a great love for God as missionaries with, 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 with New Tribes Mission. So they showed this love of God and they ended up in the heartless and in some ways might seem wasteful moment. But yesterday she said to me and 
Really, I went home heavy in heart, saying, I don't know how I will respond in the midst of the pits and the peaks. So I asked her, what did you do? She said, God gave me the grace. And there's the promise, right? So, so Joseph, right, his story is God's story. So centuries later, it's still God's story. So if you're kidnapped in the Philippines and you lose your husband sitting next to you and you go home with a bullet in your leg, but, but in the midst of that, you still praise God because he's steadfast, then you've understood that in the pits and in the peaks, God is still steadfast and we can rely on him. So herein is the challenge. See, God is steadfast in every chapter. And he writes the final chapter based on his steadfastness. See, again, and the, the challenge with reading Joseph's story is we can turn it into the moral of the story is, right? Here's the moral of the story, right? You get knocked down, you get up again. It's not the moral of the story. Point of the story is that God is steadfast, building on what Bill said last week, in our pits and our peaks. So we zoom out, we see the full picture, and it is really amazing. You meant evil against me, God meant it for good. You know, those African slaves who 400 years ago were brought here against their will, Many became believers. And people often ask, why? Why? And I read a story in NPR in preparation for this message. NPR, not exactly a bastion of Christian thought and practice. It said, why did these African slaves embrace Christianity? And, and one of the realities is they found strength in the steadfastness of God. And in the midst of the unjust world in which they had found themselves, often with Christians owning them, in the midst of the unjust world, they found that in the pits and the peaks and the hurt, and that was mostly pits with few peaks, that God was still faithful. So they would sing of his love, his grace, and of their ultimate deliverance because they knew that God is steadfast in every chapter. He writes the final chapter based on his steadfast love. So you may experience Joseph's rebounds or you may stay in the pit, but God's steadfastness will be evident to all. He didn't know if this was the end, but he knew God was steadfast. So the question for us is, how do we respond? Well, there's a certain trust that Joseph evidences. Because if he didn't have that trust, he might have gone with the temptation or he might have given up in despair. And, and I gotta tell you, whether somebody has turned against you or your own body has turned against you, or the unjust nature of the world has turned against you, God is still there. He is steadfast. Man, I, and I bet there's hundreds of you, and maybe hundreds more watching online. Man, you're in the pit. And the message you need today is not Joseph's situation alone. Do the right thing and you'll get a better shot. The message you need today is that Joseph relied on his God. His character reflected his reliance on his God. His trust in the steadfastness of God changed everything. He's sovereign over us. That's what this boils down to. Centuries ago, he was sovereign over Joseph. He was sovereign over Egypt. He was sovereign over the prison. He was sovereign over the situation. Centuries later, he's sovereign over us. The song says, you have not forgotten us. You, you're with us in fire 
and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Would you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we are reminded again, not of the moral of the story, I get back down, I get back up again. We're reminded of the story when we zoom out and maybe like in Brian's picture, we see our own faces in this very situation. Father, I imagine there are people here who the world has turned against them. Their family is broken. Maybe their body has turned against them. And just as we could see our faces in a painting around Jesus, may we see ourselves in the promise of God's steadfastness around Joseph's situation. Father, I pray today that you might speak to us, reminding us you have not forgotten us, that we're there trusting in you. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I do ask all of us for just a moment, we bow our heads and close our eyes. I'd just like to ask, I'd like to pray for you. Man, if you're in that situation, you're like, Ed, I am in the pit. I feel like Joseph. I'm struggling. I'm unsure. My body's turned against me. Someone's turned, something has turned wrong. You just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Hands all over this auditory. Man, this is the story of our lives. You put your hands down. Father, I pray for those who just raised their hand that you give them grace and strength. You'd give them confidence in your steadfast love. Whether they're in the pit or about to come out of it or whether they're in the pit and they're going to stay in the pit but you're still with them in the pit, may we rest on your steadfast love. How may you help me to rest on your steadfast love and each of us to rest on your steadfast love. Father, I pray that you'd give us that grace and that strength. Well, you just take just a moment if you're a follower of Jesus and thank him for his steadfast love. But if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know you're, you're outside of God's intent and design for your life. You haven't received the forgiveness, the grace, and the gospel. And I want to invite you to do that this day. Our prayer partners are going to move into place right now. When they move into place, that gives you an idea where they are. Our prayer partners are coming right now. And as they come, it'll give you the opportunity to see where they are and to pray with them. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, I want to ask you just to do one thing right now with me. Others around you have your heads bowed, your eyes closed, and they're praying and they're interceding. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to say, Lord Jesus, just in your heart to the Lord, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, I need your steadfast love in my life. I didn't see myself in Brian's picture. I need to come to Jesus like a child, trusting and following him. I commit my life to you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, I pray for those who just prayed that prayer with me. And I just, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I'm just going to ask it, that you'll notice some prayer partners here and prayer partners over here and prayer partners up there. Maybe you go to them afterwards and say, I prayed that with Pastor Ed and I want to pray some more with you. But Father, we come before you again and we sing of your steadfast love. You've not forgotten. You're with us. You're faithful, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Let's sing together.